Section 16 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 16. Marjorie Fleming, From Spare Hours, by John Brown, Part 1. One November afternoon in 1810, the year in which Waverley was resumed and laid aside again, to be finished off, its last two volumes in three weeks, and made immortal in 1814, and when its author, by the death of Lord Melville, narrowly escaped getting a civil appointment in India, three men, evidently lawyers, might have been seen escaping like schoolboys from the Parliament House, and speeding arm in arm down Bank Street, and the mound, in the teeth of a surly blast of sleet. The three friends sought the beeld of the low wall old Edinburgh boys remember well, and sometimes miss now, as they struggle with the stout west wind. The third we all know. What has he not done for every one of us? Who else ever, except Shakespeare, so diverted mankind, entertained and entertains a world so liberally, so wholesomely? We are fain to say not even Shakespeare, for his is something deeper than diversion, something higher than pleasure, and yet who would care to split this hair? Had any one watched him closely before and after the parting, what a change he would see! The bright, broad laugh, the shrewd, jovial word, the man of the Parliament House and of the world, and next stop, moody, the light of his eye withdrawn, as if seeing things that were invisible, his shut mouth like a child's, so impressionable, so innocent, so sad. He was now all within, as before he was all without. Hence his brooding look. As the snow blattered in his face, he muttered, How it raves and drifts! Onding, Osna! Ay, that's the word, onding! He was now at his own door, Castle Street, number 39. He opened the door and went straight to his den, that wondrous workshop, where in one year, 1823, when he was fifty-two, he wrote Peveril of the Peak, Quentin Durward, and St. Ronan's Well, besides much else. We once took the foremost of our novelists, the greatest, we would say, since Scott, into this room, and could not but mark the solemnizing effect of sitting where the great magician sat so often and so long, and looking out upon that shabby bit of sky, and that back green where faithful dog camp lies. He sat down in his large green Morocco elbow-chair, drew himself close to his table, and glowered and gloomed at his writing apparatus, a very handsome old box, richly carved, lined with crimson velvet, and containing ink-bottles, taper-stand, etc., in silver, the whole in such order that it might have come from the silversmith's window half an hour before. He took out his paper, then starting up angrily, said, "'Go spin, you jade, go spin! No, d it, it won't do. My spinning-wheel is odd and stiff.' The rock ought one a stand, sir, to keep the temper-pin in tiff, employs our oft my hand, sir. I'm off the fang. I can make nothing of Waverley to-day. I'll away to Marjorie. Come with me, matey. You thief. The creature rose slowly, and the pair were off, Scott taking a maud, a plaid, with him. White as a frosted plum-cake, by Jingo, said he, when he got to the street. Come we me, matey you thief. 
the great creature rose slowly and the pair were off scott taking a maud a plaid with him white as a frosted plum-cake by jingo said he when he got to the street maida gambled and whisked among the snow and his master strode across to young street and through it to one north charlotte street to the house of his dear friend mrs william keith of corsterfine hill niece of mrs keith of ravelston of whom he said at her death eight years after much tradition and that of the best has died with that excellent old lady one of the few persons whose spirits and cleanliness and freshness of mind and body made old age lovely and desirable sir walter was in that house almost every day and had a key so in he and the hound went shaking themselves in the lobby marjorie marjorie shouted her friend where are ye my bonny wee crudlin do in a moment a bright eager child of seven was in his arms and he was kissing her all over out came mrs keith come your ways in watty no not now i'm going to take marjorie wee me and you may come to your tea in duncan roy's sedan and bring the bairn home in your lap take marjorie and it on ding a snay said mrs keith he said to himself on ding that's odd that is the very word hoot away look here and he displayed the corner of his plaid made to hold lambs the true shepherd's plaid consisting of two breasts sewed together and uncut at one end making a poke or cul-de-sac take your lamb said she laughing at the contrivance and so the pet was first well happed up and then put laughing silently into the plaid nuke and the shepherd strode off with his lamb maida gambling through the snow and running races in her mirth didn't he face the angry ert and make her belled his bosom and into his own room with her and lock the door and out with a warm rosy little wifey who took it all with great composure there the two remained for three or more hours making the house ring with their laughter you can fancy the big man's and maidie's laugh having made the fire cheery he set her down in his ample chair and standing sheepishly before her began to say his lesson which appeared to be zickety dickety dock the mouse ran up the clock the clock struck one down the mouse ran zickety dickety dock this done repeatedly till she was pleased she gave him his new lesson gravely and slowly timing it upon her small fingers he saying it after her wannery tuary tickery seven alibi crackaby ten and eleven pin pan musky dan tweedle um tootle um twenty one eerie ory oury you are out he pretended to great difficulty and she rebuked him with most comical gravity treating him as a child he used to say that when he came to alibi crackaby he broke down and pin pan musky dan tweedle um twoodle um made him roar with laughter he said musky dan especially was beyond endurance bringing up an irishman and his hat fresh from the spice islands an odiferous end she getting quite bitter in her displeasure at his ill behaviour and stupidness then he would read ballads to her in his own glorious way the two getting wild with excitement over gil morris or the baron of smailhorm and he would take her on his knee and make her repeat constance's speech in king john till he swayed to and fro sobbing his fill scott used to say that he was amazed at her power over him saying to mrs keith she is the most extraordinary creature i ever met with and her repeating of shakespeare overpowers me as nothing else does 
thanks to the unforgetting sister of this dear child who has much of the sensibility and fun of her who has been in her small grave these fifty and more years we now have before us the letters and journals of pet marjorie before us lies and gleams her rich brown hair bright and sunny as if yesterday's with the words on the paper cut out in her last illness and two pictures of her by her beloved isabella whom she worshipped there are the faded old scraps of paper hoarded still over which her warm breath and her warm little heart had poured themselves there is the old watermark lingard eighteen o eight the two portraits are very like each other but plainly done at different times it is a chubby healthy face deep-set brooding eyes as eager to tell what is going on within as to gather in all the glories from without quick with the wonder and the pride of life they are eyes that would not soon be satisfied with seeing eyes that would devour their object and yet childlike and fearless and that is a mouth that will not soon be satisfied with love it has a curious likeness to scott's own which has always appeared to us his sweetest most mobile and speaking feature there she is looking straight at us as she did at him fearless and full of love passionate wild wilful fancy's child End of section 16